Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest disasters and figure out who's to blame. Today we'll be talking about the Capiopo mining accident of 2010, aka the Chilean mining accident. Here's what you need to know. August 5th, 2010 started like any other day at the San Jose Copper Gold Mine, located in the desert landscape of Copiapo in northern Chile, just 500 miles from the capital, Santiago. At mid-morning, some of the mine workers observed a sound that seemed unfamiliar to them. A worker mentioned this to the mine's general manager, but was told not to worry, quote, the mountain is just settling. Later on that afternoon, around 2 p.m., 
mine workers heard a massive crash. Like a skyscraper collapsing. As described in the book Deep Down Dark by Hector Tobar, a single block of diorite, as tall as a 45-story building, was broken off from the rest of the mountain and is falling through the layers of the mine, knocking out entire sections of the ramp and causing a chain reaction as the mountain above it collapses. Granite-like stone and ore are knocked loose, pulled downward to crash against other rocks, causing the surviving sections of the mine to shake as if in an earthquake. The collapse, or cave-in as it is more commonly referred to, trapped 33 miners 700 meters, that's 2,300 feet underground, five kilometers from the mine's main entrance. Rescue workers tried for weeks to reach the trapped miners without knowing the condition they were in below, or even if they were still alive. On day 17 of the rescue mission, the miners managed to send up a note attached to a probe inserted deep into the ground by the rescue crew. The note said, Estamos bien en el refugio, los 33. We are fine in the shelter, the 33 of us. Euphoria in Chile as 33 miners are found alive in a collapsed mine almost half a mile underground. But now the hard part, digging them out. Below ground, the miners had organized themselves into work shifts, participated in daily prayer sessions, and rationed their emergency food supply into two spoonsfuls of tuna, half a cookie, and half a glass of milk every 48 hours. Once the 10 bottles of water ran out, they started drinking the water that was stored to keep the mining machinery cool. Despite being dirty and containing oil, the miners relied on this water to keep them alive. The news that the 33 miners were alive and trapped below set off even more intense around-the-clock coverage by news stations around the globe. The masses of journalists, along with families and friends of the trapped miners, camped out in what became known as Camp Hope, close to where the rescue mission was happening. Drilling companies from around the world, as well as NASA, all contributed to the rescue effort. The combined efforts allowed for an operation to take place that kept the miners fed and with access to medicine, water, and other necessities for the entirety of their entrapment. They were even given brief access to communication with family members. After 69 days, a hole had been drilled down to the miners that fit a NASA-designed capsule that helped lift the miners up from the underground one by one. The miners were divided into three groups to determine their exit order. First, they brought up the skilled. This was based on the theory that this group would be better equipped to escape unaided if the capsule they were traveling up in malfunctioned. The second grouping they rescued was the weak. These were men with medical problems, the older men, and those experiencing psychological issues. Lastly, they brought up the strong. These were the most mentally tough. They had to be able to endure the anxiety of the weight. The last to exit the cave was the shift foreman and the leader amongst the trapped miners, Luis Ursua. The rescue was a success and was celebrated around the world. On our broadcast tonight, one by one, the miners trapped for two months are brought to freedom in a rescue mission the whole world is watching. While on the surface, the tears and cheers and joyful reunions. Fun facts, a.k.a. death stats. 
The 33 miners made it into the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest time survived trapped underground, 69 days. Initially, the trap miners tried to escape through ventilation shafts, but the ladders required by safety codes were missing. The emergency shelter that housed the miners had an area of 50 square meters, that's 540 square feet, with two long benches. When they were first found, more than two weeks after the accident, the miners were in a state of semi-starvation. Some men had lost 15 to 22 pounds. The inventory of the food included one can of salmon, one can of peaches, one can of peas, 18 cans of tuna, 24 liters of condensed milk, eight of which were spoiled, 93 packages of cookies, not counting the ones that the men ate on the sly. A challenge the miners faced was that of bacterial infection and fungus. Temperatures inside the cave were a sweltering 95 degrees with a 95% humidity. A simple infection could be fatal. Psychologists believe the miners' survival was due to one key thing, their faith. Led by their spiritual leader, Mario Gomez, the miners maintained faith in the rescue team saving them, in their families, in their comrades, in their religion, and faith in themselves that they would get through it all. So today we have with us, as always, producer Amanda. Glad to be here. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hola. And a very, very special returning guest, Farron Einhorn. Chris took my hola, so I'll just say hello. Oh. oh, you could have said "wepa" ah, or "qué tal." Oh, that's nice. <laughs> say "hola también." Hola también. Hola tam- <laughs> you might remember her from the Siegfried and Roy episode, which has actually turned out to be one of our most topical episodes now with Tiger King. No out. kidding, by the way. Tiger King's an incredible uh, historical tragedy too. We should maybe get into that at some point. Well, uh, we'll have to see how that one plays out. Yeah, um, give it a little bit of time, but <laughs> that's right, right when people stop talking about it is when we'll release our episode. We have so much to cover with w- this disaster. And I I need to add that Farron, you actually were involved in the casting of the movie that's based off of this tragedy, The 33. The 33, that's right. I hopped on to uh, do a little bit of casting for this film. I was working with the casting director on another project and she brought me on for this one for a couple of weeks. So I dabbled in the Chilean minor story for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and you know, we got some incredible performance in that movie. Oh, uh, we've got Antonio Banderas doing his thing. He, Where were your fingerprints? Farron? I mean, were you L, uh, Ant- LDP, Lou Diamond Phillips or uh, Oscar Nunez. Or? So already attached was um, AB Antonio Banderas and Juliette Vinoche. Those two were already attached. And um, the big casting that happened while I was a part of it was LDP, Lou Diamond Phillips, Exactamundo. Wow. So why don't we get started? Because we have a lot of things and people to cover and things to put up on the board. I mean, there's 33 of them. We know that from the title of the movie. You want to put all 33 <laughs> up on the board? I mean, I don't think we can blame them blame them all. Certainly... You know, there are some that are rising to the top as leadership. Well, I mean, I didn't have it in my notes to put any of the miners on, but, uh, uh, you know, we can maybe play around with that 
and see if if we want to throw some of the uh, poor victims up on the board. You know, ev- ev- everyone's well, open well, to being blamed here. First, I, I think we need to put go bi- think a little bigger and 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 put the actual mining company up on mm. the board. So it's called the San Esteban Mining Company, and it's owned by Marcelo Kemeny and Alejandro Bon, B-O-H-N. And San Jose Mine had a history of safety violations and accidents. It's not the first time something like this has Oy. happened on the mine. It was actually su- shut down in 2006 and 2007. Now, previous fatalities and accidents at the mine included in 2004, miner Pedro Gonzalez dies after a cave-in. So there's already been a death. 2006, Fernando Contreras killed, was killed in an accident in the mine. 180 were injured in the same accident, and 50 of them were seriously injured. Oi. Then, 2007, Manuel Villagran, a geologist assistant, dies after a rock explosion. Now, after that happens, the, the mine is uh, shut down. So the Serna Jailmin... God, I'm saying this bad. Sernahelmin, the Chilean government body that supervises the mine safety, ordered that San Jose mine close. Local worker unions who were aware and at times vocal about the safety shortcomings in the mine called for safety measures to be introduced, including ventilation ducts, access ramps, reinforcement of tunnels, safety lodges, and emergency exits. Now... None of these measures were introduced and the mine reopened less than a year after it was closed for Villagran's, uh, after it was closed after the death that had happened. Oh my God. So they just took it, they just took like a year break, said, you know, it'd be nice if we had all these safety measures and then time passed and then they just reopened the mine. (laughs) They're like, people probably assume it took a year to put these safety measures in place. Let's just reopen now. This mining company is totally shysty. I mean, because I assume definitely. that, you know, there's definitely some danger implied. You like, you know, you tell your parents, like, I'm going to be I'm going to be a miner. You know, they recognize that there is some uh, danger involved with going into that line of work. I don't know the numbers yes. about yes. how many people get injured or killed in mining accidents, but it seems like. I don't know. I would imagine it's kind of high. Well, Chris, why don't you get into it? I know that in the beginning of the, the 33 in the movie, they said something like a uh, 1,200 deaths. Uh, I don't know if that was in Chile or in the world. So while he's doing that, I do want to bring something up, up that I found that's r- related to this. So according to WSWS.org, a condition for reopening the mine was that the San Esteban commits itself to constructing a ladder that would lead from the shelter to the surface. Following the cave-in, the miners tried to reach the surface through a va- ventilation shaft. They got only a third of the way up before discovering that the mine owners had never bothered to finish the ladder to the top. Oh my so they- God. <laughs> That's so bad. That sink in because that is some triangle shirtwaist factory fire shit going on. They didn't finish the fire escape, right? Yeah, they didn't finish the fire escape and they didn't uh, uh, add the the water hoses. And their ladders weren't tall enough. 
yes. mean, fire department. I'm also going to call it back to like your premiere episode of the Titanic. It's like get enough life rafts, people. Finish the <laughs> ladder. You made it a third of the way. Like, how hard is it to build a ladder? It's rungs horizontally and two vertically. Like, I just that is bonkers. That's like if Rebecca if Rebecca got asked me to go get buy a fire extinguisher, and I was like, yeah, sure. And I just got a red crayon and drew a fire extinguisher on the wall. I was like, here it is. To make her feel but safe. Also, don't even start. If you're not going to finish the ladder, don't yeah, start it. Yeah, what a Don't even start it. What? <laughs> what is a ladder if it doesn't, like, reach another location? Oh, it's it's a ride. It's a fun ride. Totally gnarly. Well, let, let's continue to talk about this stuff because after the collapse, the mayor of Caldera... Her name is Brunilda Gonzalez, woman, calls for the uh, investigation into safety violations by the company. This is after the the actual collapse. She's like, we got to look into what they did. Gonzalez alleges that bribery led to the reopening of the mine despite its safety issues. Now, Chilean Congressman Antonio Leal said that at the time, the manager and owner Alejandro Bone threatened Anton harassed then director of the Cernageomen, that's the the political uh the committee to have him removed from the post if he didn't reopen the mine hmm. so the owner is threatening the the person in in the government that's in charge of this to let him reopen the mine or he's going to pull strings and get him off his government post now Maybe I'm stating the obvious here, but we need to put government corruption up on the board. Just a quick history here. Unfortunately, like most countries in South America, Chile has had its share of government corruption. To mention this sort of income inequality that, you know, similar to what we talked about in the Astor Place riot, that is causing people to take these dangerous jobs. People become minors because there's potential to make money that otherwise they might not have the opportunity in other fields. So like mining pays pretty well compared to other jobs. Yeah, I would imagine, right? High risk. It's high risk. Exactly. I mean, the oldest guy down there, wasn't he like 64? You know, it's pretty old miner, I think. Damn, Farron. <laughs> not to be ageist about it, but you know, it breaks my Just heart. Just a note about the average estimates of accidents where people die in mining is 12,000 a year globally. That's a rough estimate. Um, He goes on to kind of talk about basically if you're a more developed country, people will form unions and unions are what really protect people from uh, these dangers. It gives people the the power to sort of make certain demands. Yeah, I mean, and they did have unions. It's not one of those uh, countries where they weren't totally protected, but I think when you you bring in the the lack of government um, responsibility or follow-through, then that makes it more difficult for the union to actually get what they want. Mm. So exactly. So there should should there be government negligence as different than government corruption? Well, I'd say the corruption, the government corruption is Part like the in it, well, it's like the you know they had that initiative to open sooner than they should have opened mm. because you know he was being threatened. But to me, it also feels like union negligence. Oh, interesting. Yeah, lack of follow through, maybe. Their hands were tied, and and they should have again ring the alarm, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, ring that just alarm, like Beyonce. Just like all of us are trying to do. You know, it's almost worse to have a union that is 
not doing what you expect them to do than to have no union at all. It's like if you've got no union at all, you sort of get in the mentality of like, you know, this is risky. We don't have a union protecting us, but it's a false hope or it's a false sense of protection to think you've got, I am a part of this union, but they're, you know, they're not completing the ladders. They're not, you know, right. Doing all the that's things a good that point. That's a good point. And now I just want to point out that two years following the mine collapse, right? Chilean prosecutors announced that no one would be charged in the wake of the incident. Now this was met with shock and fury by the miners and others following the case. The chief prosecutor of the Atacama region, Hector Mella, said that because investigators couldn't reach the accident scene to investigate the cause, they couldn't, so therefore they couldn't charge the pair of the owners of the mine, Alejandro Bon and Marcelo Kemeny. Uh, Mella said, quote, the base element, the why the cave-in occurs is not there. Which is absurd. Sounds like further corruption to me. Yep. Thank God we're throwing someone in jail well, today. We're going to make this right. <laughs> yeah, and, and because no one was charged, also the families were never compensated. Oh, no, don't tell me that's this. Well, that's That's how lawsuits work. I think we need to talk about the mine manager. And you guys wanted to... Th- this is important. So the, his name is Carlos Pinilla. P-I-N-I-L-L-A. The workers had reportedly complained to Carlos Pinilla earlier in the day before the cave-in that they heard a loud and unusual noise coming from inside the mine. Miner Juan Mm -hmm. Idanis said that workers asked to be allowed to leave, but their request was denied. Mm. Despite Pinilla dismissing workers' concern, they described him as acting strange that day. Yes, as as is described in the uh, the book Deep Down Dark, it says still the reports of unusual noises and explosions keep coming, and by late morning, the boss of all the bosses, Carlos Pinilla, is according to several of his underlings starting to act strangely. Ursua, who is the shift leader, and his second in command, the foreman Florencio Avalos spot him in his pickup at level 400. Benita stops to shine a large flashlight at the stone walls of the ramp, and another worker who spots him in this moment says his flashlight was huge, so much bigger than the ones that we carried, that it made me nervous to see him using such a thing. Later, later, other workers see him going into one of the corridors that lead off the ramp to shine the same flashlight inside a a cavernous excavated space of the pit. They also see him standing next to the pickup truck as if he were listening for something or trying to feel movement inside the mountain. He essentially leaves. He exits oh my God. the mine. And uh, when uh, the, the cave-in happens, he's not inside. He was actually in his office above ground while that was going on. He knew. Yeah. He knew this was going down. He comes down there with his bigger flashlight than everyone else has, checking in on them, listening to the walls. This guy knew. And then he gets up. He gets up above ground. He he yeah. That that to me is really sketchy. First of all, he knew that the safety regulations had not been in place. He's thinking to himself like this if this comes down, you don't want to be here because there's no way out. So he's perfect on the board. 
That's, <laughs> he sits pretty. He sits pretty. Where Carlos belongs. I also think we have he, to put uh, the the Sir Najeomin. Uh, <laughs> that's the Chilean National Geology and Mining Service. So, following the accident, the national director Alejandro Villagrosi said that the mine was reopened without his knowledge. He blamed this on a subordinate worker under his authority. He was fired by the, the president following the accident. And according to the World Socialist website, at the time of the accident, the Chilean National Geology and Mining Service lacked the funds to fulfill its responsibilities. It had 16 safety inspectors for over 4,500 mines in Chile. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay, that's not enough inspectors, people. <laughs> so there were three, essentially three inspectors for 884 mines. <laughs> Those that ratio is terrible. There's 365 days in a year, 295 mines for each inspector to visit. That's just ridiculous. So I think they absolutely have to go up on the board. hundred. It's going to be hard to put him in jail just because it's really hard to pronounce him. The Sernagiomen. <laughs> Can we give him a nickname, Sergi? Sergis. <laughs> and now I'm assuming that this is a service funded by the government. Yes. Okay, so this is run by the government. It's, it, so that makes sense yeah. if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And finally, I well, not finally, <laughs> of course, never finally. I think we have to, we we should probably put the president Sebastian Pineda up on the board. The president himself ran for president on a platform that included the partial privatization of the main state-owned copper mining enterprise in Chile. So he wanted private Chilean mines. And this provoked a minor strike in opposition to his proposal. So he's not like beloved by the miners, let's say, because he if once you privatize these mines, then they have way more say than if they're government funded, because then they have to stick to more government regulations. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't behoove the, the miners safety. In 1981, President Piñera's brother, Jose, pushed through a law that cleared a path towards privatizing much of Chilean mining, thereby creating the conditions for a sharp deterioration in safety conditions. Mm. Piñera tried to claim ownership of the rescue effort and was then accused of turning it into one big show for his presidency. And this is a quote. When first contact was made with the miners, officials cautioned their families that it could not be confirmed and waited until Piñera could make it to the mine and appear before the TV cameras oh. to read the note that had been brought up from the mine shaft start, uh, stating that the 33 men were Is alive. Is this sounding familiar to anyone? <laughs> Scarily. What? You mean like our president? Well, just holding up the stimulus check so his name could be printed on him. Oh, totally. Oh. What's that guy's name again? Our president? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, mm-hmm. He's not to be mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> uh, so this guy comes in. He's Mr. Mr. Deregulate the Mines. Yes. Mr. Mining for Money Miner Exactly. Guy. And, then, and then he tries to come in and be a big showboat. He wants to be the savior. Um, I have three other things. First of all, they had out-of-date mining maps. Now, when the, cert- the, when the rescue began, they had to drill these like five-inch holes to even see if, if they were alive underneath the mountain. And these, these drills 
because of the hot rock were being bent in a way that they couldn't just like drill down. So right. they had these out of the, the maps were also out of date. So they didn't even know where to begin, dr- like where to drill down because the maps weren't accurate. Mining as an industry. What do you think about that? Just mining in general. I mean, it gives us like all of our resources. I know. That's why I literally I put mining as an industry, and then I said, "Here's the thing, though, we can do without gold and jewelry, uh, gold jewelry, but copper is a different story." Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems yeah. crucial. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we mine for that's yes. really, really important. Well, it's like just a quick Google search will tell you that copper is used in electric electrical equipment, wiring, and motors, and you know, it, it's just, it, it transmits electricity. Real quick, not to derail us, I know we have to get to eliminating people off the board, but I just want to check in and ask you guys, how do you think you would fare in this situation? And there's these three categories of weak, skilled, and strong. Which one do you think you all would fall into? Um, it, it's a it's a shockingly topical episode, if you think about it. I mean, 60, we, we've been quarantined in our lovely houses or wherever we are, able to still walk outside and and have internet and talk to family for i don't know 30 plus days think of 69 inside a a, a mountain 94 degrees 94 degrees <sighs> humidity gross and also you're just not i was thinking about this you're not seeing any natural light there is no you're in mm. darkness for 69 days, forget walking around. You're not even seeing the thing. It's like that. I, I think that I would be in that. Wasn't there also like a sick or psycho or mad category? Uh, or did I no, make that, that, made one that one up? I think that was the week. That was included in the week. Okay. Yeah, I'd be in well, the what do you th- th- Yeah, what do you think you'd fare? I'd be in the psycho category for In sure. the week? I think so. I have a lot of hundred. I've developed claustrophobia. Uh-huh. It like came on like last summer. It just suddenly came on, and then since then, I've I've had a few bouts of claustrophobia, and I I don't think I would do well. Yeah, you're in the yeah. Week. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but me too, by the way. Me too, one hundred percent. Like I am not leading the religious services. I am not in charge of rationing the milk and cookies. Like. Do not put me in charge of those things. I will lose my mind. I will follow. I will accept my rations. I will attend the services <laughs> that, you know, my fellow miners are leading. But yeah. I am barely, barely hanging I, on. Honestly, I, I, I would like to think that I would provide sort of entertainment and respite for the guys, you know, morale boosting. But I actually You're, think yeah. that my comedic sensibility would actually just be annoying in that situation. Oh God, and that the can guys, you imagine? Mm-hmm. Like the, and that the guys would be like, <laughs> You're like you're not funny in this scenario. Like you're only funny. This, this isn't a life saving skill, Chris. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely not in the skilled that got brought up first. No, oh, hundred percent. No, that's like yeah, I'm definitely. Honestly, not they in might leave you category. down there, Chris. You're like, like we got thirty two of the thirty. There's thirty two of us. <laughs> Let's cut our losses. <laughs> we miscounted. What about you, Rebecca? I think I would do well with like the scheduling committee. Mm. Like I. I would probably be good with rationing um, and making sure everyone got up at a certain time and, and doing schedules for everyone. So, so, you know, you could keep 
uh, a sleep pattern or, you know, people could get exercise. So I think I would be useful down there. I actually would. I think you would, too. I mean, you are the alarmist. So I feel like you're turning these scenarios over in your head. Yeah. Like, I would be the first one to be like, we can't eat all the food right away. That, I mean, that, that to me would be a logical next step once we realize the ladders don't go anywhere. Okay, who's on the board? Who's on the board? Well, but before we even Mm. read them, I just want to put one last thing Mm. up, and that's the lack of women in the mining industry. Here's my point. All I know is if I was in charge of stocking up the refuge room, I would have had way more canned food in there, and I would have made sure nothing was expired. Scented candles. (laughs) (laughs) And I would make sure that there was way more water I thought you were going to say wine, which I also yes. think way more uh, Pinot Grigio. My, my boss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Just recommended recently putting a bottle of rosé in your earthquake preparedness kit, which I thought was but a You know great you're going to get to that the minute you run out of wine, you're going to be out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so out, true. It out. Yeah. Right. This is one industry where I'm like, eh, I'm I'm not mad about the lack of equality in the, uh, <laughs> in the mining and in, in the, the gender equality in the mining. But industry. I'm sure that there are women who are who are very interested in that. We can we can create like more more sort of fashion forward pickaxes for you guys if that's something you guys want to like accessorize. No, Chris, no. that's not what the God. women want. You don't get girls it, like Chris. shopping and and cooking, oh. right? Like that's. All. I mean, yes, but not all of it. them. <laughs> <laughs> not all the time. Not all the time. Not all the time. Exactly. No, but I think that's an interesting point. And I'm sure there are women miners, just not 
that many. Right. Look, the whole point is that it's uh, different, having uh, different races and different cultures in the workplace is important, different genders, because they provide insight to maybe things that other people are not thinking about, right? That's true. So it, it would be a useful thing to have. And, you know, shout out to the boys who, who go to the mining and do the hard labor, I not to be overlooked. You know, those are definitely things that not all of us want to do. Clearly, lack of women in mining. Um, can I put another person on the board before we before we start eliminating? Of yeah, I want to put the huge diorite rock up on the board. Yeah, <laughs> put that big ass rock up on the board. I think we so have di- to. Thank you for that. Diorite. Okay, so refresh us. What do we got? Who's to blame for the Chilean mining accident? San Esteban Mining Company, government corruption, union negligence, Carlos Pinilla. The, he, he's the uh, the manager of the mine. The Sernagiomin or Sergis, and that's the government <laughs> body that was in charge of sort of mining regulations. Sebastian Piñera, who's the president, lack of women in mining, and the big ass diorite. I don't think we can take women off the board. <laughs> lack of women. What do you think? Yeah, it's got to go, right? I'm glad it got up I'm there, ready to- but. Yeah, but I don't think it's to blame for the Chilean mining accident. That's right. I'm going to say I think we can take off the Oversight Commission of the name we can't pronounce. Sergis? I think Sergis. we can take them off because they were underfunded by the government. Yeah, it, it, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like their hands were tied in a lot of ways. So now we've got the mining company bad, Carlos Pinilla, which is the manager. Now, as much as I really don't like it- this guy... Oh, no, I can't. I can't even go there. He's the one that came down with the big flashlights and then ended up above. Yeah, yeah. He, he's mm-hmm. uh, he feels like very cowardly. Right. He's in, he, in like, my like mind. Amanda said, he might be slap worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the union negligence. I feel like there's only so much they can do. Yeah. You sort of touched on that, that they that they in place like Chile, they just don't maybe have as much you know, voice. I'm not super familiar with the strength of the unions in, in Chile. Well, they obviously weren't that strong, right? No. I mean, especially just given this one, we're just looking at this one example where a mining accident happened. They shut, they got it shut down. They put together a list of demands and the mine just opened a year later and having done none of the demands. It just didn't yeah. seem like they tried. They tried. Like they tried. I think we can take them yeah. off the board. It wasn't their negligence Yeah, they're safe se. today. I also think we can take the big ass rock off the board because it was just doing its thing. Mm, I'm not ready. <laughs> not ready to take that no, rock off. Tell me. It could get the big slap. <laughs> the rocks, why? Rock. why? Why don't you want to take the rock off? The, the rock is sort of the most um, concrete <laughs> reason <laughs> for the accident. This rock, I'm going to gender the rock. He, <laughs> you know, he caused this whole thing. But Farron, so the rock we, is a yes, he, by it the caused way. the thing. But why were we going into the rock's home anyway? The rock. Oh, oh shit! Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's where the rock lives. We had no business being there. Yeah. You're right. The rock was there way before us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, ro- like- the rock's been there for years and years and years. Millions and perhaps the rock mm-hmm. fell because of the disturbance. Of course it did. I mean, if it, it, you're you're literally weakening the the foundation of your house, if people are like 
digging underneath, of course it's going to... Wow. Uh, Rebecca, you make an amazing that was argument. Amazing I'm argument. ready to take it off. <laughs> I'm ready to... T- to be honest, I'm ready to get that rock off. Okay. So we've got the mining company, the go- government corruption, Carlos Pinilla, which is the manager, and uh, the president, Piñera. I'm ready to take the president off. Oh, but wow. he put us in this place. He and his family... Well, I guess it was his brother who did the legislation in 1981. I I mean, I I agree we can take the president off. I don't like him, but he to me, he can be wrapped up in either gov- he can be wrapped up in government corruption. I feel like uh to me he's a contender for the big slap. But I, I also agree that the manager should be a contender as well for the big slap because he was a coward and he left. But the, the president is he's got the power to run on a platform that says, like, I want to make mine safety a priority. I think what I, what we should do our next step here is to take off government corruption, because that's while it's certainly played a part, it's not I don't think it's the crunchiest, most satisfying thing to send to jail. And now let's narrow it down between the president, the mining company, and the manager. Top three, the big the three. The big three. So here's the thing. Benita, he's a he works for the, the mining company. So it's it doesn't behoove him. Like he's he's the one who's caught and pun intended between a, a rock and a hard place, right? <laughs> nice one. Waiting for that one to come out. Because he put the pressure from the owners above the safety of his men. But here's the mm-hmm. other thing. Uh, if the mining company had been held accountable and the, the government would have made them pay, that wouldn't have fallen on Pinilla. He's, he's just an employee. I, I, I was going to take him off the board, but now I want to give him the big slap more than the president because okay. he was a, a, a slippery snake. He, he, got out of, <laughs> he got out of the mine and then he would have, even if what we wish would have happened, which was that the mining company would have been responsible, even if that would have happened, he would have slipper, slippery snaked his way out of that one too. <laughs> He was close to being a good guy, and then he really took a left turn. It's like he went down there to check on them. He listened to the walls, and there was that critical moment where he could have gotten him out of there, and he decided to not. To me, that is, he was so, you know, intimately aware of the situation and made the wrong decision mm, yeah. versus the president who had bigger fish to fry probably. So that's, pretty, that's convincing. Yeah, convincing. That's, that's convincing. Ken. And let's not forget, we also, if we want, we don't always give it out, but we have the big clap, and I know 33 <laughs> guys who might deserve it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I am ready to give a round of applause. Okay, well, you know what? I think it's settled. The 33, you're getting the big clap. Carlos Pinilla, the manager, you're getting the big slap. And San Esteban Mining Company, you're going to the alarmist jail. Boom. I mean, bye bye. The Chilean government couldn't do it, but we did it. We're not corrupt. <laughs> no. No, uh, we're not. But we are. Uh, we do see a good opportunity when we come across one. So I'm. I'm going to start a book. Write a book called the Copiapo Diet which uh, contains two spoons of tuna a day, a half a cookie, and a half a cup of milk. Now, you'll see results within days and in weeks. Some of these guys down in that mine, they lost up to 22 pounds. 
after the Chilean mining accident. After their rescue, the miners were offered book and movie deals and continued to capture attention around the world. According to The Independent, each of Los 33 was handed a free motorcycle by Kawasaki and $15,000 by a local businessman. They enjoyed all-expenses-paid trips to Greece, Israel, and Disney World. But as the limelight faded, many returned to impoverished lives and have struggled with psychological and health problems. A year after the 2010 rescue, Samuel Avalos was back-selling pirate CDs. Two others, Osman Araya and Dario Segovia, took jobs selling fruit. A few went back down to the mines. Others are unemployed. Yoni Barrios, like several others, is dying of an incurable lung disease caused by crystalline silica dust mines. The 33, a movie based in the mining accident released in 2015 and starring Antonio Banderas, scored 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. you think is to blame by going to the alarmistpodcast.com follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the alarmist at gmail.com and you're not going to want to miss next week because we'll be covering the fall of the aztec empire Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.